G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. Seventy percent of mobile home parks are owned by mom and pops that own just that one asset. So you're able to communicate with them, cut deals with them, negotiate seller financing, things like that that uh, aren't really realistic when you're including a broker and you're you're fully you know marketing the property out there. So. We love cold calling. We love buying direct from mom and pops because it just helps us sleep better at night knowing that, you know, when someone's running a property on a yellow pad of paper and a flip phone, you know, when we can implement some professional management and software and, and paying online and things like that, that we're going to be able to run these things better than they could at the end of the day. And that's, that's our whole model is to buy these up, improve them, and then refinance out, you know, the initial equity. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show.
Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Andrew Keel. Now, Andrew and his team have built a mobile home park portfolio with nearly 40 communities and over 2,500 tenants, all via guerrilla marketing. I'm talking about cold calling mum and pop owners, fixing up old trailer parks in order to then get them to qualify for government-sponsored financing, IKA agency debt. This model really, really works, and he's here today to share his insights and tricks and cheat codes. So I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today. But enough of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Andrew. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Reed. My pleasure. Well, it's uh, I know you're dialing in from sunny Florida. How's the uh, how's the weather over in Orlando right now? Hot and swampy? Hot and swampy. Yeah. One of those days <laughs> you just want to stay inside. And it's inside an air conditioned. That's awesome, <laughs> brother. Well, look, without further ado, let's get into it. Can you uh, rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? Oh, great question. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to grow up on a golf course. And, you know, when when summer would come around, we'd go in the woods and try to find those Pro V1 golf balls and then set up at the next hole. You know, we would have our own little display and we'd be selling the, the Pro V1s for $2 a piece. Uh, so that's how I made my first dollar. Awesome. Awesome. Actually, you're not the first person to do that, to have done that. Growing up on golf courses in the US is clearly a thing. So uh, I know some other people on this show have, have done the exact same thing. So how much money did you make? And before you got told, you, oh, you run off by the uh, by the golf course owners. Yeah, the ranger would come around occasionally and, and some of them liked <laughs> us and some of us, some of them didn't. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say, you know, a couple hundred bucks, you know, over the course of a, of a weekend was, was pretty common, you know, depending on uh, which golf balls we had. Awesome stuff, man. Well, look, walk the uh, walk the audience through your journey in the real estate space. You clearly didn't just fall into it. Not, we're not all born with 15 years worth of real estate experience. How did how did that journey come about? Yeah, so I was working as a as a sales manager at a branding firm, and uh, a good friend of mine was into single family wholesaling, and I was just really intrigued by what he was doing. Uh, you know, really brilliant guy. So I I started partnering up with him and said, Hey, let me learn about this. Let me help you. Let me bring you deals. And so I did, I started doing marketing. I put out bandit signs, sent out letters and would find deals and, and bring them to him. And then he would help me sell them and find a buyer for them because he he had a bigger buyer's list. So that was how I first started. Uh, eventually with some of the deals we got, we did some flips around Central Florida, uh, You know, maybe doing like two or three a year uh, for about two or three years. And then uh, through one of the, the letters I mailed out, I got a lead on two mobile homes up in Ocala, Florida. It was a motivated seller, just wanted to get rid of them and drop the lot rent that the park was charging him. Uh, and he gave me you know, two mobile homes, vinyl-sided shingle roof homes for $2,200, $1,100 a piece. So I went in these homes, got the titles. Uh, you know, They needed a little bit of work, not a lot. Came home, got on YouTube and found a guy named Lonnie Scruggs who wrote this book called Deals on Wheels where he teaches people how to buy mobile homes and then fix them up and sell them on contract to an end, end user. So that's what I did with these two homes. I sold them each for $2,500 down and then $250 a month for five years. And I was immediately sold. I was like, the flips are so inconsistent. I'd have a great big closing and then I would be dry for a couple months. Where these, you know, I was able to do like 19 of them, these Lonnie deals, and you know, generate enough income every month to offset all of my expenses. So that I was doing some flips plus these Lonnie deals, and I thought I had made it big. And then a park owner started funneling me homes. He says, "Wait a minute, you're an investor, and you and you you flip these mobile homes." He said, "Here, I have three other vacant ones. Here, come fix these up and sell them." And I was like, 
does this guy, what was he doing? Right. This makes no sense. And then I, I took him out to lunch and he taught me the model. He said, Hey, you know, I just want lot rent. I just want to get rent for the dirt underneath of these homes. I don't want to own the homes. And, you know, you can do this too. You know, and he taught me syndication and fragmented ownership with, with bringing on partners. So I, I was fortunate enough to just leave uh, flipping and doing these lawn deals and go fully into syndicating mobile home parks and never look back because I had, you know, income enough to cover my expenses. It was just my wife and I at the time. And uh, yeah, 36 parks later, over 2,500 lots, uh, you know, in seven years, it's been, uh, it's been fantastic. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome, man. And it's such an interesting way that you got into it. Cause that what you wouldn't have think to, in today's world, when someone says mobile home parks, you think you're buying the entire enchilada, right? Sure. Where you were just going in and actually buying the physical mobile home. That's right. Which for those people out there is not actually literally on wheels, but <laughs> you can put it on the back of a truck and it can move around. Uh, and that was your that was your sort of in, which I'm sure also meant that there's a lot lower cost to barrier rather than going in multi-million dollar actual land deals, pulling that together. It was sort of like a nice little uh, entry, uh, entree, I should say, into the biggest space that which you're now into, which I assume you now own the entire park and you do That's right. uh, the whole thing, right? That's right. Yeah. In the beginning, it was just the trailers, low barrier to entry to become a landlord, right? You know, you needed $1,100 to buy one of these homes and then sell it, you know, fix it up a little bit and then sell it on contract. So it was a it was a great way to kind of get my foot in the door of, of you know, property management and vetting tenants, those kind of things. Today, what does it look like? Do you still do that little niche of owning the homes or you're just trying to get it, you know, off sell them as quickly as possible to the, to the current tenants in those homes? Yeah. So we're all about the tenant owned home. Uh, we no longer own any of the Lonnie deals. Uh, we own the entire parks and in those parks, you know, we'll buy homes and bring them in and then sell them to the end tenant that's going to live in them. Uh, and that's our entire model. It's more scalable and you know, it, it makes way more sense from a, from a, you know, a financing standpoint, because that's what the banks want also, you know, the Fannie lenders, the agency lenders, they don't want you to own all of the homes. They want it to be tenant owned homes and, and provide that affordable housing. You mentioned earlier in at the green room, we we're talking about like you use local banks to come in early and then shift it over into an agency model later on. I assume that you're getting these homes, these these parks, I should say, where you do own some of the some of the homes on them, and you've got to get them to sort of the, the rehab, the fix and flip, so to speak, is to off sell them to the tenant, and that takes a period of time. Is that is that a correct statement of what I'm what I'm saying? That is. Yeah. Like we just closed last week, actually on a 136 lot park. We own all of the homes right now. So we're coming in and our whole model is to transfer the ownership of those homes to the tenants. And we go door by door, meeting the tenants, you know, trying to structure a deal that makes sense for them. And, and a lot of times why, you know, I love this is because we're able to give these people really great deals. You know, we're not trying to like make a ton of money on, on selling them the home. You know, we didn't pay for any of the homes when we bought the park. So really, it's like, hey, you're paying $600 a month. Okay, pay that for a year. And on month 13, we're going to give you the title. And now you own it and you drop down now to $350 a month lot rent. So we're able to give them really great deals. They want to own these things. And these are people with bad credit. You know, a lot of people are, are, are crying. They're like, wait a minute, you're going to let me own this home? Like, I never thought I could own anything. You know, my credit is destroyed. So we're really creating a win-win and that, that social... Uh, that that social impact really is 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 meaningful. 
Talk to me a little bit more about the social impact because I, a lot of people get into real estate investing, you know, self-indulgent, right? It's to make money, get to make a better life for their family, escape the rat race, blah, blah, blah. How has that evolved for you in the last seven years since you've been involved in this business? Yeah, I think it, it all started with, with Deer Run. It was the first mobile home park that my wife and I bought together. We moved into a house in front of the park and lived there for <laughs> three months uh, as we renovated 14 vacant trailers. I mean, this place was run down. It, it was gravel roads and it was just beat up trailers. There was 14 vacant and we moved in and, and we didn't leave until all 14 of those were rehabbed uh, and resold and occupied by new tenants. And then we brought in another, I think it was 22 uh, homes to fill vacant lots. So, you know, being there, my wife and I meeting all of these tenants was a was a game changer. You know, my wife, you know, we had the stigma at first of kind of, oh, you know, are we going to meet a bunch of drug dealers and, and bad people? And that couldn't have been the farthest from the truth. I mean, these are great people that either are there by just bad circumstance or are choosing to live there or, you know, that's just how they kind of have grown up. So it's just, it was very interesting. We met a lot of great people. We added value to the parks, you know, paving the roads, getting some murals painted at the, at the front of the parks, new signage, you know, investing dollars into these things that the previous owner who was 75 years old and just was, you know, taking every penny he could out of it, he never reinvested in this. So it was a, it was kind of a, a rundown place to live and the tenants kind of didn't enjoy living there. But now that we've added this new fresh look, these CapEx improvements, it, it, it was cool to see them. Uh, enjoy where they live and be proud of where they live. Right, right. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about guerrilla marketing. Right, a lot of people. Can you break? A lot of people think that in in the in the commercial real estate space, at least in my space, in multi, large multifamily, brokers are the king makers. Right, and they will assign you deals. I was literally just on a best and final call like an hour ago <laughs> for a hundred units in in in, in Phoenix. Um, how have you gone about? getting these deals off market and, and, and does it lend itself the industry of mobile home park investing to really having the broker model or is it really got to go to all these these local owners and, and sort of strike a deal with them? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think there is a lot of broker transactions, you know, uh, I would say probably 50%. But then there's also in the mobile home park space specifically, there's there's quite a lot of deals that happen off market, you know, direct with owners. And I think that comes from, you know, mobile home parks being highly fragmented, you know, in, in the multifamily apartment space. I think I, I saw a statistic where like, like 90% of the apartments over 50 units are owned by groups that own three or more assets, you know, mm -hmm. where in mobile home parks, you're dealing with, uh, you know, 70% of mobile home parks are owned by mom and pops that own just that one asset. So you're able to communicate with them, cut deals with them, negotiate seller financing, things like that that uh, aren't really realistic when you're including a broker and you're you're fully you know marketing the property out there. So we love cold calling. We love buying direct from mom and pops because it just helps us sleep better at night knowing that you know when someone's running a property on a yellow pad of paper and a flip phone, you know when we can implement some professional management and software and and paying online and things like that that we're going to be able to run these things better than they could at the end of the day. And that's that's our whole model is to buy these up, improve them, and then refinance out you know, the initial equity. Where are you finding all the leads for these ownership, these owners? Where, 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 does, where does that come from? Maybe give us a little bit of a, uh, a sort of a top-down analysis of the guerrilla marketing uh, and what it looks like from, from, from soup to nuts. Yeah, so 
I went to this this MHU boot camp, Frank and Dave boot camp, uh, you know, many years ago, and he actually gave us a list of like the forty four thousand mobile home parks in the country, and we've just now, you know, through years of calling that list, we've fine tuned it and and we've re skip traced it, and you know, finding the owner name and contact information and 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 you know, reaching out to them and adding notes in our CRM, you know, for multiple years now, we've just fine tuned it. And now we also have improved our, our purchase criteria, right? We, in the beginning, we were kind of going after everything and anything. Now it's very targeted. It's like a sniper approach. It's like, Hey, we want 50 lots or more public utilities in an MSA with 50,000 or more MSA. And we want less than 25% park owned homes. You know, that that's kind of how it started, but now we're, we're open to park owned homes, but it's, it's a much more strategic approach. And the whole goal is, hey, we're going to buy this with a local bank. We're going to fix it up. And when we fix it up, we're not just going to just throw money at the thing. We're going to fix it up based on Fannie Mae's criteria. Fannie Mae wants all the hitches removed. They want off-street parking. They want you know curb and gutter. They want you know uh, lot number signs on all the homes. They want specific things. So we're taking that formula and implementing it on these properties so that we can get it approved for that financing, which is best in best in asset class. And long-term fixed rates, you know, fantastic financing that, uh, you know, adds a lot of value. How, how do you go about the conversation with these older folks who own these parks? Like, I'm sure that's also a, uh, what's the word? Like, you're planting a seed. It may not necessarily happen on the first call, but how often are you following back up with these folks who, who own these parks to try and get an off-market deal done? Yeah, it, it almost never happens, Reed, on the first phone call. Like, I don't think we've ever had a deal that, that happened right then and there. And they're like, okay, yeah, I'll take that price. You know, send me over the paperwork. It's always in the follow-up. It's always months and years later that they come around to the idea. And it's a lot of timing, you know, like it, it, we just had a deal. We bought the park next door. It literally borders the park that we own. And we went to her when we bought that park and said, hey, you know, we'll pay you, you know, what it's worth, you know, let's get an appraiser out here. We'll pay you right now. And she was not interested. Well, she's sick now and her nephew is running the park, the property, and he doesn't want to run it anymore. It's, it's a mess. It's going downhill. And now it's like, okay, I, I, we called at the right time and now they're ready to go. They're motivated. They got to get rid of this thing because the income is, is dropping. Collections are growing and they're just more motivated. So it just, a lot of it is timing, being there at the right place at the right time and building that rapport and, and having that relationship. Are you using any sort of texting services to like help streamline, you know, I don't know, it's not 44,000 <laughs> homes that you're calling upon, but there's a, there's, a, there's a large number. So does anything, what are the, the systems behind that it's not just you pounding the phones. I'm sure you've got some VAs and some stuff and some tech to help you make that job a little easier. That's right. Yeah. So the 44,000 is like a, a number of all the mobile home parks. Ours is, ours is actually down to 8,000. Once we, we put our, our strategic, you know, 50 lots or more public utilities within an MSA. Now we're dealing with 8,000 leads, right? And we also dabble in a little bit of self storage. So we actually made over a quarter of a million cold calls last year to commercial wow. property owners. So that's, that's the kind of scale that this has. And that's through eight VAs that are all part time. Uh, we have a data team that's constantly, you know, we're, we're calling through all the numbers and then re skip tracing it. So there's three VAs, I think, in the data team that are just constantly re skip tracing. Uh, we use uh, texting, you know, where we're texting, you know, occasionally the, the owner list that we have. You know, encouraging them to respond back and generate leads that way. 
We're dropping voicemails through you know, products like Sly Broadcast, where we can instantly leave a voicemail uh, from all the phone numbers of the owners we have. Uh, and then we also do some email marketing as well. That's great. Yeah, no, I think it's it's having that robust system on the back end to make sure that you are building up an asset because this is an asset not in the sense of a physical asset, but it's a digital asset that you got to. The CRM is is an asset to your business that makes your business tick. Yeah. If you don't have this, you don't have a business. I don't. You know, you you you'll be hamstrung. You know, any multifamily or sorry, any syndication company needs more deals, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have deal flow and you don't control that deal flow. It's very, very tough. I know in the multifamily space right now, like sales are off 80% year on year because of where interest rates are. I'm sure the fact that you've got your CRM working so well that I'm sure you're still seeing a lot of traction, right? People are getting fed, fed up with the higher interest rates and they're like, okay, now we want to sell. So um, it's, it's really, really very cool that you've got that uh, down to a fine art and, and, and a science. So, so, so well done. Moving on to the management side, where are all your parks located and how do you manage that part of it? Because and I assume you do it in-house because your mobile home parks, it's not just like a multifamily. I can go get a Graystar or, you know, a Lincoln or one of the big property management companies that can, you know, do, you know, do the boots on the ground for us. How are you handling that as, as the kill team? Yeah, great question. It's all vertically integrated and it has to be. You know, we, we tried third party a long time ago and it just didn't end well. There's so many moving parts, you know, with people trying to come into your park and buy the mobile homes and move them out. You know, a third party manager is not going to be as hands on when a tenant owned home goes up for sale to kind of jump on that and try to control that and broker that sale to somebody that's going to actually live in the park. So there's just many different nuances like the one I just explained that make it really hard for a third party manager to do this at scale. Uh, there are some out there, but we manage it in house. We have 23 corporate employees and then we have on site managers at every property. So that is really how we're doing this. I think it's really important if, if anyone is investing with a mobile home park operator. That investing with one that does manage it in-house because out of all the, the operators that I know and I've networked with, all of the top ones manage in-house. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to readgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you will automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to readgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. How hard of a decision was that to bring it in-house? Because I know, at least for as a multifamily owner, we've got nearly 4,000 doors. I don't, it's not something I want to sign up for. You know, like it's, you're, you're a HR company at the end of the day, right? Yes. And it's, it's, it's a pain in the ass. Do you have a, a throat to choke, so to speak, on the, the management side that sort of manages all that? Or are you still heavily involved in the management side? I'm heavily involved and that's, you know, maybe it's a, a double-edged sword, right? I'm, I'm in mm. the KPIs. I'm visiting the parks every quarter. Uh, I travel a lot. Uh, I also, you know, occasionally climb under a mobile home and change the, the sub meter. You know, I know how to do all of that just from my time in the space. So yeah, I'm, I'm a very hands-on operator and uh, yeah, it has its strengths and, and weaknesses. I'm sure we could have scaled a lot more if I would have given a little more leash. Yeah, well, I think that's the next question. Do you plan on, you know, firing yourself at some point on the management side to to sort of hand it over to someone maybe who could do it even better than you? 
Yeah, no, I think that's something that we're, we're, we're continuing to, to grow into, you know, and being able to, uh, to bring in some, some high level people with experience. Uh, you know, my, my partner and, and best friend from high school, John Scortino, he works with me. He's our COO that runs the operations. Um, you know, I'm more, uh, investor relations and acquisitions. Uh, but yeah, I'm still helping out with operations because it is a, a moving target. There's always something, there's always a, uh, you know, a failing metric that we need to jump on right away to, to give attention. Yeah, no, I, I love it. You mentioned your wife earlier. Um, how is she still part of the business right now? She is a little bit. She helps with the marketing, uh-huh. but yes, very uh, kind of occasionally, you know, helping out as needed, not as consistent as she used to be. Yeah, no. The reason I ask is that like it, it can it can be tough when you're entrepreneurial and sometimes your better half, you know, may or may not understand. And it's good. It's always good to have someone who does understand, but also, you know, working together can be a challenge, right? So how has that over the years and uh, any advice for for, for newlyweds out there? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's, it's been tough. We've definitely, you know, butted heads, but she gets it. She sees the bigger picture. She sees the value that we're creating. And since she lived in that mobile home park with me, she she sees the end consumer of what we're creating and, and the value we're bringing to them. So I think once they're bought in, you know, and they see the bigger picture, uh, it could be really magical. It could be really cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. One thing I didn't ask you, where, what, um, what MSAs are you, where, where are the parks? You said nearly you got 40 yes. parks, nearly. Where, where are they all located? All mostly in secondary markets throughout the Midwest. So you're Fort mm-hmm. Wayne, Indiana's, your Sioux Falls, South Dakota's, uh, your Bismarck, North Dakota's, Indianapolis, those type of markets uh, are really where we focus on and are finding, you know, heavier cash flow. And remind the listeners of, you said a minimum of 50,000 people. Are you are you as focused on the industry of employment in these markets? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we want to make sure it's not a one horse town. You know, there's a lot of Midwest towns that have like this one you know, 2,500 employee companies, uh, and we want to have some diversification. So that's that's really what we're looking for when we're targeting an area, along with, you know, what are the apartments renting for, right? The two-bedroom apartments, what is the median home price, you know, making sure we're looking at all of the factors. Mm-hmm. Is your, are your rents coming in cheaper than an, an apartment building in the area? Yeah, we're typically less than half. So, you know, less one of the half. metrics we look at is, is what is a three-bedroom apartment renting for? And we want it to be over a thousand dollars a month, which is you know fairly easy, pretty, you know, everywhere. Uh, so you know we're factoring that our lot rents can be typically half of whatever that rental rate is. And you know lot rents are historically low across the board because these mom and pop owners haven't kept up with inflation. They haven't you know needed to really. You know a lot of these mom and pops we're buying these parks from have so much equity either they have no loans on these properties or there's you know a few years left on the uh on the on the loans that they do have so they can be more flexible and uh you know they're getting a, a ton of cash flow without doing a lot of work because most of the the homes are owned by the tenants right you mentioned half the value of a three bedroom apartment for the lot rent did you just make that up or are you trying to use more other market data to to back you into that lot rent because obviously a three bedroom i know even across most secondary markets you're probably looking at well over fifteen hundred dollars you know maybe 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 thirteen hundred on some 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 really secondary markets but you know three bedroom apartment building probably well over fifteen hundred bucks so that's a 750 pad rent 
can people afford seven fifty pad rent in these areas? And 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 given that you're going into these old homes where the pad rent might have been one hundred fifty bucks, you know that's a that's a big multiple for someone who's like, wow, you're going to charge me seven fifty. It is, yeah, and that's one of the big problems you may see is uh, mobile home park investors getting a bad rap because you know a lot of big uh, Wall Street money is coming into the space and just jacking these rents up, you know, too quick, right? For these people and forcing people out of their homes, which is not our model. We want to come in, we want to add the value first, show people, hey, there's new roads, hey, we added a dog park, hey, new signage, new fencing, you know, add value to the community and then increase the rents after we've we've added that. In a nominal amount, you know, instead of just, hey, your rent's going up $400 a month, you know, starting, you know, in three months, like it's, it's just, it's too fast. So I think with our sh- social impact, you know, a lot of our investors really that matters to them, they want to make sure that we're not just coming in here and just jacking rents up to add value. But yeah, I, I think lot rents are low, but it's all a give and take, right? And, and making sure it makes sense for, for, uh, for both people. Are you using anything? Is there like a, you know, this co-star and multifamily, is there like a co-star for mobile home park uh, manufactured housing that you can look at? Okay, this is what the region pad rents would be and where a class C type of property versus a class A type of property. Do you, you know, where, where are you collecting your data from? You know, there is some some reports out there that like aggregates from some appraisers, uh, but we actually have found that like, those are really for primary markets and, and like that's mm. where they're most accurate. So we've really had to get on the phones and call and and show up at these parks, you know, that are the comps to really get, you know, our market comps. You know, like one of the best ways we get market comps is not by calling the park because a lot of times the mom and pops don't even answer the phone, but by going to the park ourselves and knocking on a tenant's door and saying, hey, I'm looking for a place for my mom. You know, how much is pad rent here? And that's the, been the best way that we're able to get lot rent comps. So it's just a, it's a different, you know, like that fragmentation aspect. It's a different market. Yeah. Moving forward into the next five years, what are you planning to do in terms of volume? Uh, obviously, they're not building any more mobile home parks. So, you know, there will be a ceiling. Obviously, there's 44,000 that you mentioned that that's a lot, but there's obviously a lot of people in the mobile home park space, right? Yeah. So how do you cut out enough for yourself and enough for the team? Yeah. I mean, we're just being super strategic. You know, we're not just chasing deals. You know, interest rates have affected us, right? It's affected everybody. The sellers haven't, their expectations haven't really, you know, gotten to the point where it makes sense to do a ton of deals. Uh, so I think we're, we're more of a, hey, we'll do five to seven deals a year, you know, very choosy with the deals we, we offer. And then we also have a wholesaling wing and that helps fuel, you know, some of the marketing that you were talking about in our sales team is, hey, if a deal is too small or it doesn't fit kind of our our sniper rifle approach, and then we'll assign it to another operator that will will pay us a fee and kind of help keep the marketing funnel going. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is there any audacious goal you want to get to in terms of AUM or pads under management or anything like that? There used to be, uh, but not anymore. It's really about mm-hmm. like like scalability. And you know, there's this MHI conference that we attended uh, earlier this year. And this big private equity guy came up to me and was like, hey, I want to give you a check for this much and I want you to deploy all of it. And, you know, we ended up talking and I was like, that just that just doesn't doesn't feel good. You know, like, you know, how many, how many people I would have to hire in the next 30 days to try to execute what you're saying? And it just sounds really stressful when, you know, I have three little kids and, you know, I think just growing sustainably is just a better fit for us. We, we, we've been so blessed. I mean, I'm sure you as well, Reed, like, Real estate has been just real estate investing has been such a blessing 
we have more than what we need now. It's just, let's just keep having fun with it. Yeah, no, I think it's keeping grounded in your approach of uh, scale because a lot of people do get, oh, I can scale and shiny objects and let's be the biggest thing since uh, since sliced bread. But at the end of the day, it's all about sustainability and you know, how, how much do you want to work? No, not that you don't want to work, but like how much sure. do you, where's it, what's it all going for? So yeah. awesome stuff, man. Well, look, at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's do it. Mate, what, uh, now question one, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Yeah, so I have them written on my bathroom mirror. So I see them at least twice a day when I brush my teeth and that helps. What are the goals right now on the mirror? Goals right now, I want to do 25 push-ups before every shower. That's one thing just to try to keep my physique going. Uh, another goal that I have is I want to make sure to uh, visit all of our properties every quarter you know, and get out to those. Another one is... I want to bring our employees in on some of more of the equity, you know, in the deals that mm. we're doing and, you know, being strategic about that. So those are just three of the top ones. That's awesome. No, I think that's a, that goes back to your sustainability. You have people buying in to the overall company. So that's uh, that's great. Great way. Uh, question number two is who's been the most influential person in your career to date? Well, I would have to say Ryan Smith of Elevation Capital, genius, brilliant person. He kind of took me under his wing. He's local in Orlando here. And like really helped me, you know, learn the mobile home park investing business. And his wife, Jamie, wrote a book called Trailer Cash. And that was like one of the first pieces of content I consumed when I got into the business. Yeah, Ryan's a tall dude, right? I've, I've, I've uh, I met him a few times. He, I was sitting at Hunter Thompson's wedding and he was there. So, uh, and he was, wears the uh, cowboy a, boots all the time too. That's so he's right. like six, six that's plus right. the cowboy boots. It makes him just like a giant. <laughs> six, six, nine in heels, as I say. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you listened to that. Uh, question number three is, what's the most influential tool in your business? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a notebook or, or a phone, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? Mm, I would say Trello. We use Trello. Mm. To, it's like a digital whiteboard, if you will, to organize all of our properties and stay on top of everything. So uh, Trello is a good one if, you're, if you've ever you know, heard of it or, or you haven't used it yet. Yeah, awesome. Question number four is, in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? Let's see, you know, they always talk about like the deal, that, the one that got away, you know? Um, there's a sign above my computer right here that says, time kills deals, uh, didn't move fast enough and missed out on a deal that, you know, we had everything lined up and ready to go. And, uh, you know, the lender kind of backed out at the last minute, but we kind of knew that like it wasn't a sure thing. So I would just say time kills deals and making sure that we are like aggressively pursuing, uh, you know, getting things done as quickly as possible. Awesome. Awesome stuff, man. Well, last question. Where can people reach you to continue the conversation that'll be in your sphere? They want to find out a little bit more about the team and your mobile home park investment strategy. Where do they go? Best place would be our website, which is keelteam.com. That's just K-E-E-L, team like a basketball team. And yeah, you can fill out the contact form. I'd love to get in, get in touch with you guys. Awesome stuff, man. Well, I want to thank you so much for jumping on today's show. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think your tenacity to building an off-market 
funnel system for the business is really the key to make you successful. Going out and finding deals on your own, a lot of people would think that is really, really too much hard work. But without that, you don't. You can then turn the spigot on and off whenever you want, right? And 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 investing in that asset is so key to the fundamentals of what you do as a business and that deal flow. And I think without that, you wouldn't have the team of what you are today. So you know. I, I, Congratulations for doing Thank that you. and having you know the the foresight to do it. And for those people listening out there, there's a there's a clue there. Success leaves clues, so make sure you're investing in the time. It ain't sexy, but roll up the sleeves and learn how to do it. I'm sure Andrew can give you a few tidbits on building that VA system uh, team out uh, in terms of all that cold calling. Um, and the other thing is, you know, I, I think you're you're really focused on making an impact, which is really really important. And I, it, it, you know, getting involved in real estate is very selfish in the beginning, but it's, you, you've, you've seen, seemed to have evolved into a owner, an operator, and a leader that wants to do good as best you can. And I think that's great that you're bringing stuff like you know making sure it's affordable for for the, for the pad uh, for the tenants on the on those pads, not jacking rents too quickly, but even down to like making sure that your employees can potentially participate in in the, in the deals in the future. So awesome stuff, my friend. Did I leave anything out? Oh, that was a great recap. Thank you so much, Reed. Oh, awesome, man. Well, look, oh, again, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your week, week, I should say. Happy 4th of July, and we'll catch up very, very soon. Sounds great, Reed. Thanks again. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible information from Andrew. Remember, head over to keelteam.com. That's K-E-E-L-T-E-A-M.com. Check out everything he's doing over there in the mobile home park investing space, particularly around about the way that he is cultivating leads off uh, off market, right? And being able to go directly to sellers. It's really, really powerful. And it's how he's been able to build his the success in his company and a sustainable su- success today and into the future. I wanna thank you all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. The easiest way to give back to this show is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. And we're gonna do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.